My mom was born in Canandaigua, New York, to a butcher and a woman who loved to shop. Mom grew up and attended college in upstate New York to do medical secretarial work. She has one brother who is in naval intelligence who disappeared from her life for 21 years. Mom left New York after her first marriage and ended up in Texas working in a cardiologist's office. My mom's parents died about six weeks apart around the time I was four. Dad grew up with three brothers here in Iowa. His dad was a farmer. From the stories I was told, they never really had much, but it got significantly harder the day that my grandpa came home and my grandma had left the house without notice. Nowadays, it probably would have been treated as postpartum depression, but in the 1950s, she was crazy and ended up in the asylum in Independence. After that, my grandpa raised four boys by himself while farming and working other jobs to survive. Grandpa died around the time I was 12. Dad was 18 when his first daughter was born. His new wife was 15. They had one more daughter together before their marriage ended in divorce. Dad had always been into horses. He started training them when he was 12. After his marriage to his first wife ended, Dad left with a suitcase and a guitar and moved to Texas. One fateful day on a horse ranch in Alvarado, Texas, Mom and Dad met. They were married in June of 1978, three months before my brother Justin was born. Seventeen months later, I came out, breech, and left-handed. My first word was one with four letters. I was on a roll. Mom grew up Methodist. Dad grew up Catholic. That's about all I knew about their faith background. I don't want to make my parents look bad. They were incredible and taught me more than I could ever imagine. But the only witness I had to any form of faith was when they would say, God will provide, when we had no money and no food on the table. And for the record, he always did. At the age of four, my parents decided they'd rather do what they loved than what paid them well. Mom gave up her job working for the cardiologist in Texas, and Dad gave up his job running his own fence company, and we started our life moving around the United States while our parents trained racehorses. Our journey took us to Oklahoma, where my brother and I had two good friends who routinely caused trouble together. From dry ice bombs and glass bottles to dissecting poisonous snakes with hammers, we had a great time being boys while our parents worked. In Oklahoma, the FBI fingerprinted my brother and me because there were a lot of kids going missing on racetracks. When we moved to Minnesota, I was almost abducted by a man and only made it out by the grace of God and the fact that my parents had always warned me to never go anywhere with anyone without asking. It ended up it wasn't his first time, and I helped the police find him on the track in Shakopee when they needed someone to search the women's bathroom, and I found him in a closed stall, standing on the toilet. In Ohio, it got cold, and we ended up sleeping in a 10-foot by 10-foot tack room with snow blowing through the cracks in the walls, which Dad expertly fixed with duct tape. I don't know how far it was to the nearest bathroom, but I do remember a five-gallon bucket in our room just in case and walking through the snow to take a shower. Our travels took us a lot of other places, too. It also got us into the bus. It was a light blue, bluebird bus that had been converted to a motorhome. Sometimes we had electricity, Sometimes we didn't. In Wyoming, a young man working at the full-service gas station accidentally started pumping gas into our water tank, and we could never afford to fix it, so running water in the bus wasn't an option either. In New Mexico, we lived in an RV, RV park on the U.S.-Mexico border, and Justin and I used to sit in the bus and watch illegal immigrants sneak across. In Tucson, Arizona, we lived in the bus in the parking lot of the Rito Park racetrack. It got cold in the winter in Tucson, and we ended up living in the gooseneck of a horse trailer for about two weeks on the track grounds, stealing electricity for a space heater so we wouldn't freeze to death. 
Our travels led us across the country, to the north in summer and to the south in winter. Our shortest time living in one place was two weeks. Besides never telling anyone your business, there was an unspoken rule in our family about never getting too close to anyone. We moved so much that getting personally attached to anyone was a recipe for heartbreak. We didn't spend much time with our genetic families because of moving, so we had each other, just the four of us. Around age 10, we started to settle a little bit in Iowa. Mom and dad traded race horses, traded training racehorses for training horses for the general public. Started in Shell Rock, then to New Jersey for one more racehorse training gig that didn't pan out. You didn't think it'd be that easy to quit, did you? And then back to Shell Rock, followed by Allison, Ackley, and finally Wellsburg. Mom and dad finally decided enough was enough and that they needed to stop racing so we could go to high school in one place. We settled on an acreage five miles from town that you can see from Highway 20 now. Our house wasn't much, but it wasn't a bus. By the time we were in Wellsburg, we'd moved roughly 15 times in about eight years. Sports had never really mattered in our house, but Mom and Dad didn't have time for them and as kids, and we never really had the extra money to pay for all the things that go along with them. Somehow I decided to wrestle for two years in junior high and two in high school. My coaches were strong Christian men, and I looked up to both of them. Between my freshman and sophomore years, I went from five feet, six inches tall, to six feet tall, and went from 125 pounds to 130. <laughs> my growth spurt didn't help my poorly developing self-esteem. I'd never dropped weight to wrestle, but in my sophomore year of wrestling, a concerned mom stopped me in the hallway and asked me if I had an eating disorder. That ended up being my last year. Both of my coaches died young. God was planting seeds during high school. In history class, we were talking about world religions. I was the only one who didn't raise his hand as either Catholic or Protestant when an informal poll was taken. After that poll in history, a classmate asked me about what I thought. Uh, what happened after death, and I was internally starting to be slightly concerned that I didn't have a good answer. I also had a strange interaction with the 700 Club while the TV was on randomly one day, leading to my first consideration of hell. Hey, God can use anything to get your attention. I started to enjoy drinking my senior year of high school. It was a way for me to spend time with friends, not think about how much I didn't like myself. Meanwhile, my friend Nathan Houston's family always welcomed me into their home, and they were planting seeds of faith into me as well. As I was unintentionally corrupting their son, they were letting me sit at their table while they read devotions and prayed over dinner. They fascinated me because they were different, and they lived what they said they believed. I ended up going to a small rural church with them, and the pastor took me aside one day and explained salvation to me in some language that I had no understanding of. I've been raised to respect my elders, so I nodded and bowed my head when he prayed for my salvation, but I honestly had no idea what the hell he was talking about. At 18, I had decided not to go to school for automotive repair and took a year off to work and decide what to do next. If I'd graduated top two in my class, I would have had a free ride. I graduated third. By 19, I had a cross tattooed on my back and called myself a Christian because I wanted fire insurance, and most Christians I interacted with acted like me all but Sunday morning anyway. I had my first girlfriend who I was sleeping with, but I had no idea how relationships worked. Ironically, she was a self-proclaimed atheist who had a better grasp on Christianity than I did. At 19, I started college at Kirkwood, at Kirkwood for communications, media, and public relations. I would drink every night, but would step it up for parties, never missed a class, 
and stayed on the dean's list. My parents had always said, if you wanted to get anywhere in life, you better get good grades, so I did. My girlfriend dumped me the night I was going to tell her that I loved her, thank goodness for both of us, and my belief that nobody really liked or cared about me grew. By 20, I was drinking to be happy. If I was sober, I was dealing with my thoughts of being worthless, so I tried to limit my time being sober. Meanwhile, God was picking off all my party friends from back home, one by one, while I was living with my parents in Quasquitan to save money and working and going to school in Cedar Rapids. My old party friends from high school were attending Orchard Hill, and I would occasionally drive over to Cedar Falls, either hungover or still drunk, and go to service in the community center. I still remember going there with my long orange hair and having Dave Bartlett walk up to me after a service saying, hey, so happy you're here, and feeling like he wouldn't say that if he knew me. But somehow, I still knew he was completely sincere. In the meantime, I had moved to Swisher, and a guy named Brett Engelkiss from Wellsburg was in Iowa City waiting for a heart transplant. He had a congenital heart condition and was waiting at the University of Iowa for a donor. Brett had been one of the wilder guys in high school, and I didn't know him very well, but I took a trip to the hospital to see him one night. Needless to say, I was surprised when I arrived and Brett, in his early 20s, waiting for a new heart or planning on dying, shared his strong, passionate faith in Jesus with me. I went away a little shook up. To make a long story shorter, one night in that apartment in Swisher, it all came to a tipping point. I was thinking about how ridiculous it would be to continue to live if life ended at death. I didn't like being sober because life hurt. I've always been a realist. If life was hurting, why continue if there's nothing else afterward? Since Hesses don't ask for help, and I didn't want anyone to feel responsible, I was silently trying to figure out how I was going to kill myself. It was just a matter of getting it done without making anyone feel bad. I felt like a burden and that a few people would be sad for a little while and then move on, better off without me. Walking down the hallway, I remember saying to myself that if there is a God, he needed to do something or I was done with living. At that moment, I felt a warmth and a love that I absolutely cannot explain. And I knew it was Jesus. I remember crying all alone in that apartment, and I didn't know what was happening to me. I also remember him telling me that if I was going to call myself a Christian, it was time I'd better become one. All the seeds began to sprout. In my apartment, I gave my life to Christ at age 20 and gave up everything I could, including drinking. This July, I'll have been sober and following Christ for 20 years. I found out that when your social circle is based on drinking and partying and you suddenly stop both, your circle shrinks pretty fast. The residual effects were disconnecting with all but two of my college friends, Timmy and Lena, and a new separation between my brother and me. I was adopted and raised by a small herd of charismatics in a college group called Kirkwood for Christ. All joking aside, they were incredible people. Justin and I had never had any chance to be anything but close growing up. And later in life, he told me how much he hated that he couldn't have friends that I didn't try to be friends with. Justin was, and is, incredibly smart, physically talented, and was literally fearless in his early years. I always wanted to be like him. After I became a Christian, we were distant. We still loved each other, but he didn't feel as much like a brother anymore. Everything I'd enjoyed about college had changed, and I was looking to start over. 
Brett's friend from Group Publishing in Colorado was looking for someone to help with a new project and needed a communications media guy, so I packed up all my stuff in my car, left Swisher, and headed to Colorado, where I lived with him and his wife and six kids. He had the idea of doing sermons on the internet that churches could use as resources. Essentially, it was YouTube or Right Now Media, but about 10 years too early. I spent most of my time working at Dish Network headquarters and kept a bottle of Pepto-Bismol in my glove box to recover from eight hours a day of people complaining about their cable. I went to church with a large group of people who had been at Columbine when the shooting happened. Almost half of the church was under age 24 after the shooting, and it was an encouraging place. I helped the family pay the bills, and eventually we decided it was time for me to move on. Mom, Dad, Justin, and Justin's girlfriend, Angela, had moved to Kansas City to work at a Greyhound and horse racetrack, so I moved in with Mom and Dad. In Kansas City, I worked under my dad doing maintenance at the track. I was working outside on September 11th on a clear, sunny day when the Twin Towers were attacked. A few weeks later, while driving a tractor, I heard an ad on the radio looking for Navy chaplains, and God poked at me a bit. I laughed and told him that if he wanted me to be one, he'd better teach me how to swim, and the idea went away. I left Kansas City because I was a grown man living and working with my parents, and I was having a hard time living as a young Christian in their home. I left my loving church on the edge of one of the rougher parts of Kansas City, where I was only one of a few white members. The pastor had offered to send me to seminary in Oklahoma, but after praying about it, I passed it up. So I moved back to Iowa. I lived with Brett and a couple other guys in Iowa City and enjoyed the fellowship. I had been praying for Justin's salvation for about two years, and I told God, in all sincerity, that if Justin came to Christ, I'd be fully willing to die and call my life fulfilled. My family was back in Iowa, too. Brett had invited me to an event called Yatech in northwest Iowa, and I asked my friends to pray that Justin might be willing to go. Justin wasn't much for feelings, faith, or surprises, but by the grace of God, he decided he'd go along. <laughs> Needless to say, Justin was a little upset with me when he found out we'd never registered or paid for an event that we'd driven six hours to, but God got us in. Justin gave his life to Christ that weekend. My brother, who hated public speaking and never had feelings that I ever knew of, stood in front of about 100 people with tears in his eyes and told them that he'd hated God for taking me from him, but he, that he felt like we were brothers again. It was one of the best moments of my life. Justin had a hard road ahead going back to a living girlfriend with his new faith. He ended up getting married to Angela, but less than two years later, they divorced. He later remained, uh, remarried a wonderful Christian woman, and they have five children. I enjoyed working and spending long hours reading my Bible and Christian classics and growing in my faith. I became good friends with Derek Jones and ended up touring as a roadie with this Christian metal band called Levin. I worked 10 or 12 hours a day at the conveyor belt factory in Cedar Rapids and traveled to one or three shows a weekend. I loved traveling with the guys and helping them set up and tear down so they could minister to people in churches and bars. Remember Timmy from Kirkwood? He contacted me out of the blue because he was looking for a band to do a music video for, for college. A project for college class ended with Timmy giving his life to Christ after spending time shooting video with the band. After about a year and a half, the call to the military came back. I ended up joining the Army two weeks after the war in Iraq started, much to the dismay of my mother. I joined to be a chaplain's assistant. I spent four years in the Army, three at Fort Hood, and one in Iraq. I worked in hard in the Army. It fit me well. I was used to roughing it. 
I like to work, and I'm a rule follower, so it was right down my alley. My flock consisted of 420 soldiers and their families in an Apache Attack Aviation Battalion. In the Army, I learned to deal with loss. Fort Hood had gone to one memorial service a month for soldiers lost in the war overseas because there were too many to do one for each. As a chaplain's assistant, it was part of my job to work the services. I experienced our first loss when we found one of our soldiers in his apartment from a self-inflicted stab wound to the chest. Our second was a young captain who was murdered in his home. It would take an entire message to tell you about the wonderful people I worked with and the ones we lost in the Army. At this point, we've lost as many of them to suicide as we did in combat. Just before the war, I met Sarah at Lamppost Theater in Cedar Falls. I had sent an email to my close friends back in Iraq that she was a good prospect for a Mrs. Hess. We stayed in touch by email and phone, and at one point she did John Deere me, dear John me, and told me that she wasn't interested, but my buddy Russ told me to tell her no and keep seeking her if that's what I felt was right, so I did. Sarah and I started long distance dating shortly after I got back from deployment. I had a lot of great offers to stay in the Army, but I knew that if I wanted to be with Sarah, it probably wasn't going to work. After nine months, I was back in Iowa in late 2007. I worked at the elevator in Wellsburg until I was hired at Waterloo Fire Rescue by the grace of God 12 years ago. After being engaged, disengaged, and engaged again, Sarah and I got married in November of 2008. In October of 2009, our first daughter, Sayla, was born. Two more girls later, we have a full house. Sarah's the passionate, extroverted, homeschooled, Christian from an early age, relational, exact opposite that God knows I need in my life. I couldn't imagine life without her and the girls. Being surrounded by females, though, hasn't been my only challenge. My fear of putting my family through poverty and my hatred for laziness that was ingrained in me led to me thinking working two full-time jobs at about 90 hours a week was the right thing to do for seven years. My exposure to repeated trauma and generally the worst parts of humanity at work started to take the toll too. There's a reason most paramedics only last about four years on the job. On another bright, sunny day, in August of 2017, one of the firefighters who was on our shift got hit by a car when he was out running on his day off and ended up being my patient in the back of the ambulance. We did everything we could to save him, but he died shortly after we arrived at the ER. I stood at the head of the bed in Covenant ER and prayed over him with the rest of the guys on the call. Greg Freshwater was 27. I recovered from that, but it didn't last. Just a quick warning that I'm about to mention a couple experiences that you may or may not want to, your kids to hear. About six months later, 10 years and two days after I'd been hired on the department and eight years into my paramedic assignment, I was standing on the apparatus floor, covered in blood from my belly button to my knees. I looked down at a chunk of skull stuck in my shirt from my last call, wondering if I could keep doing the job. Months later, I ended up giving my assignment on the ambulance the day that my partner and good friend got promoted to lieutenant, and on or around the same day that I had to tell someone I knew that I had treated their family member. They were paralyzed after someone beat them nearly to death with a kid's bicycle. I finally reached the point where I needed to stop being proud and ask for help. I talked to a lot of people that I wouldn't have asked for help from in the past, and they and God got me through it. I considered quitting my job in the fire department which crushed my soul because I loved what I was doing and loved the people I worked with. 
What started with me looking at the possibility of going to college so I could get a different job led to me graduating, graduating summa cum laude. I didn't study Italian. With my uh, Italian, Latin, see? Uh, with my associate's degree in fire science, and I'm still doing what I love, God always redeems a tragedy. I have a great job and three great families, the ones at home, the ones at work, and the church. We decided to figure out who made up our community and become part of the church there instead of finding a church and building community out of that, and we ended up at Orchard Hill. Sarah loves being involved with Mom's Morning Out, and I've been part of a small group with a group of guys who've been meeting for years now. Two of the girls are on the dance team in the loft, and all three have the spiritual gift of picking on Topher. Brett is married to one of his nurses from the U of I, has three children, and is currently waiting and praying for another heart and kidney transplant. So if anybody knows any spares out there, let me know. The Husemans go to Orchard Hill and Grundy Center, and their son Nathan is a pastor in Parkersburg. Justin works IT at the U of I College of Pharmacy and plays guitar in the worship team at church. Dad died suddenly in 2013 in my mom's arms on her birthday. Mom is still grossly independent, has a boyfriend, works harder than most people half her age, and refuses to ask for help from anyone. As for me, I'm finally taking time to figure out who I am and not what I do. I still don't have a very high opinion of myself, and I'm still very much a product of my past, but I know that God loves me immeasurably, and I've never considered ending my own life since that day 20 years ago. He's still working, and it's amazing to watch. I'm still working on asking for help when I need it, but I'm not very good at it yet. I'm occasionally going to counseling, and we've started a peer support team in the fire department to help our members deal with the emotional stress that comes with the job. The fire service is losing more firefighters to suicide every year than it is in the line of duty, and it breaks my heart. The staff asked me for a brief way of tying my past into the present situation we're all in. If I were to say anything based on my incredibly odd past experiences, I'd say to practice gratitude and grace. In the hard times of your past and your present, it's hard to get ourselves to step out of our circumstances and see the good and the bad. But as you learn to do it, you start to see the incredible way of God's redemption. Like my friend Eric Lynn said a few weeks ago, God took the cross, the most detestable way to die, and turned it on its head to save humanity. If he did that, if he could do that, what good can you see in what God is doing in your life now? I think if we start looking, we'll start seeing. When we see it, we see God's love and say thanks. I think that's gratitude. Second, practice grace. Remember, we all have a story, and everyone's story is broken somewhere. Everyone has different things that make them the way they are, things that scare them when you're strong, and things that make them strong when you're weak. That's why we're better together. Most people that have seen me around probably didn't think my life was such a hot mess before this message started, but everyone's is. You never know the battle another person is fighting. Remember, while we're all stressed out, to keep that in mind. Give everyone and yourself a little more grace. And when this is all over, keep doing it. Thank you. <laughs>